Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. Good afternoon, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode, episode 16 of Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. I am welcomed by a repeat guest, the first repeat guest we've had this season, John Stasevich. You probably already know who he is, but let me remind my audience, especially my new members who may not know who he is. He's running for the offices of President of the United States in 2024. He's originally from Michigan. I don't know if you're from Boyne City, Michigan, but that's where his headquarters is located right now. But he's a Michigan native. He's worked in a lot of industries over the years. Um, he's running as an independent for the United States of America. And he's going to talk a little bit about the BallotAssessCoalition.com um, website that he um, came up with. And I'm, I'm curious about this whole idea of ballot access and some of his um, platform principles. I know a little bit more about John than some of my audience does, but I still want to get some of the people out there to kind of engage with him directly. And I think John is going to be happy to hear this because there's some direct questions and comments about your campaign and also about independent candidates in general because mm. of some TikTok presence that we've gotten recently. So welcome to the show again, and thanks for accepting the invitation. No, thank you for inviting me. I, uh, I sure appreciate you sharing your audience with me. Yes, and just to give a plug in, um, I don't like to talk about the pod itself too much. I really don't ask for money. I probably should. Um, but if you all have money to donate to the pod, it helps just, um, you know, for technology to get guests on and stuff. But I honestly don't need the money for anything. But if you all want to um, donate independently to this podcast, you can. The links are there on the podcast channels and all the other pages as well. We're active on TikTok. I reinstated my YouTube channel. Um, I'm very stubborn, but I finally decided to start it up again. I'm not worried about the censorship anymore, and they just have to take me down. But I think that the information that we're giving to the audience is worth the while. And so I think we need to be visible in all platforms to make that information available. The big announcement I want to make is that we're top five most shared globally um, in the podcast realm um, based on Spotify statistics. We're present in over 22 different countries right now. And my goal is to get to 100 different countries next year. So that means that my audience is really growing. And we have a quite an international audience. And that makes me really happy. And we have some very dedicated listeners. So I just want to give a shout out to the listeners and also to my beautiful and wonderful guests that I've had and I will continue to have on the show. Um, just to give another announcement, next week we have Sarah Omer returning. She's a professor at Lehman College, Bronx, New York. And we're going to talk about part two of her interview about Afro-diasporic spiritualities. We're going to talk about some of her articles that she's published. And we're also going to talk to Ramon Muñiz Sarmiento, another professor, about Cuba and the new law that is allowing same-sex marriage in Cuba. And so we just have a lot to talk about, a lot of interesting guests uh, coming up this month. We got Spike Cohen coming up next week as well. Um, he'll be the third repeat guest that I have. So again, the pod is growing. 
I'm really not doing much to make it grow, but people are interested. And so they want to know more about the information. And so it's making me happy. I like to talk. I like other people to talk. I want to hear your views too, John, um, about this political system, this quagmire, I guess you can call it, <laughs> whatever this uh, semblance of a democracy we think we have is. Um, my question for you is, what do you define as a politician? And my second question to that would be, why should anyone trust you based on saying good things, but maybe, you know, running as an independent, but people still not being trustworthy of someone because they're running as a politician, even if it's um, in more of a positive angle, I guess. Yeah, that's a really good question, um, actually. And, uh, you know, trust is something that's typically earned, right? And because I don't have a track record as a politician, and I've actually been a working guy, I've worked my entire life. I entered politics late in life because I felt I could make a difference. So there is no track record to fall back on. And that's kind of unfortunate. So you have to look back at my work history, what I've done, let's say with my family and my children, how it's worked out there. So I have a son that's a biophysicist. I've told you before, he's got a PhD. He's really contributing to the world in a big, big way, doing fundamental research at the college. He's at, uh, you know, Colorado State. And he's collaborating. And right now he's actually in Tokyo, working at Tokyo Tech. So he does international collaboration. Working in biophysics, you're you're working at a fundamental, he's doing fundamental research in uh, you know, how proteins are are um built within the cell. And he quantifies it and he puts it into 3D movies. He's developed these microscopes that lets them look down at around 18 nanometers. So he can really get a good view of what's going on within the nucleus of a cell. Um, and then translation happening. So, you know, that's that's my son's story. My daughter, she's in healthcare. Well, she started in healthcare and then she transitioned into education. So she's special ed, ed teacher in a real diversified district, which she really loves. And she chose that district because it was so diversified. And so she's helping young people preschool get what they need when they enter the school system, like even pre-kindergarten, right? So making sure that she right now, she's um, basically doing interviews with uh, preschool children, maybe three years old, making sure the school district's all set up for those kids once they hit and they know exactly what to expect and how to staff. So she's been a speech pathologist and audiologist for, you know, 20 years in that school district and then in a hospital before that. So that's what I've done with my personal family. And um, so I know all of the ingredients I, I So I was a registered nurse and I studied human psychology and developmental psychology, cognitive psychology, all that. I have a real good handle on what it really takes to raise healthy, productive people. And I know that we all have that potential. And it saddens me that it's not realized in our world. Mm-hmm. It's not realized in our country and it's not realized globally. And I also am really saddened by the fact that I see so much anger, anxiety, and people completely disconnecting from the system, which is exactly the opposite of what we need to build the world we want, you know. And so I decided I had to run for office. And um, of course, knowing that I was, I didn't want to join any organization that was corrupt. And that would definitely include the two major parties. (laughs) (laughs) So I knew that was out right off the bat. Um, And I've, I've, track politics my entire life. So I ran as an independent. 
I made that decision. Uh, it's it has its unique challenges, and one of the major challenges is ballot access. Mm-hmm. Not just for third, not just for independent candidates, but for third party candidates as well. Mm-hmm. You know the story about Diane Sayre? No, I don't. Diane Sayre ran against Chuck Schumer as an independent candidate in New York State in the last election. Mm-hmm. In 2016, when Jill Stein ran, I think that at that time, and I'm not sure I'm exactly right on the numbers, but maybe you needed, um, in order to get ballot access in New York, maybe you needed uh, 15,000 voter signatures on their petition. And uh, and I don't know if there was any money involved. Well, because she made ballot access in New York, New York decided, wow, we can't have this. We can't have independents getting challenging us, right? Right mm-hmm. in our home turf, particularly the Democrats. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, Cuomo, Cuomo, I guess, was the governor at the time. So him and the legislature, they raised the bar. And they mm-hmm. put in a $35,000 fee plus 60,000 signatures that you needed. Wow. So they really are doing everything they can to block anyone to compete. And we know these two parties, they just basically work together. We really only have one party. They have the same boss and that's the guy that writes the check. They fund their campaigns. Every major industry, pharmaceutical, big oil, big banking, insurance, you name it, military industrial for sure. So they're their own, period. And the, the American people need to own their president. They need to own the top political figure. And that's that's why I decided to run for president. I, I didn't want to start lower. I ran for president because I felt for the first time in history, if I managed to pull it off, the American people will have someone that actually represents us. And that's never happened. Uh, I don't have to explain the problems to your audience. They are probably familiar. And I really do look forward to people that have a different perspective than I have. So I love it when people come to me with questions, because if I don't have the answer, I sure want to know what it is. Well, a lot of these are comments, but I still want to get your reaction to the comments because it's in correlation to you and to independent and third party candidates in general. And I got to tell you, I was watching that Tracy show interview. um, Yesterday, I watched it two or three times. And the one part that I never understood, I guess because I was being green, <laughs> and, and no pun intended, when when you guys are talking about the Green Party and all these other third parties, I honestly never looked at those parties as tribes. But the way you explained it, they really are, because you still have to, I guess, suck up to the leadership positions and whoever else is it, because they, they have committees, they're in control of things just like the the two major parties are, but I never saw those people as the same as the two parties. And I guess I should take my own advice because on the Tyler King podcast, I was telling him, who's to say that if the money didn't get into the Green Party, that they wouldn't become a Democrat Republican Party. So maybe the problem is with parties themselves. And so you're saying that running as an independent can actually, you think that that can curb that sort of problem? I believe so. You know, it isn't just, you know, politics for some people is a religion, right? Mm-hmm. They're religiously tied to these different um, parties, their their identity, politics, whatever it is. But they do, they get locked in. Other people are there for other reasons, maybe fear of the other side, because they're convinced that they, if they don't vote for one candidate, that the guy on the other side is worse 
and he would win. So they feel out of fear, they vote for someone they don't like, and they're stuck in this two-party system. But getting back to your your phenomenon, tribes, you know, just like religious uh, beliefs, you know, I often talk to people about, uh, let's say I believe in God and I'm a Christian. Well, you know, the Muslims believe in God too, but their story is different. And then there's Buddhists and Hindus and Tao. I, there's, I don't know, there's been a thousand religions in the world, you know. These people lock horns over these differences. And they say they believe in the same God. And their general message is to get along, help one another. That's the general message of all religions. And yet, once they get into these tribes, mm -hmm. it's conflict. Yeah. So I, I kind of view politics a lot like that, like religion. Once you're in a tribe, now all of a sudden there's the other guy. And all yeah. of a sudden you lose the ability to identify with the other guy. And I think I've told you before, but I'm, I consider myself in one tribe and that's the human tribe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it may not be the best tribe in the world. There may be others that are better in some ways, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is what it is. And, um, you know, I want to, I've got grandkids and children, and of course I'm interested in their future. And I'm, I, I'm really interested in everyone's future. I, I, you know, we, we have obvious potential as human beings, incredible mm -hmm. potential. And most people don't realize their potential. Um, boy, I'd like to, you know, do something to turn that around. And of course I can't do it myself. And that's why I'm on your podcast and every other one I can get on. I have a question before I get into some of these comments. It's funny. You already touched on one comment, basically the, the same <laughs> sentiment. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm like, are you reading off the cue card that I have? <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking something you said there about the whole tribalism aspect. Something about when I talk to you, I don't feel like I'm talking to a politician. That's why I asked that question earlier about um, because people do have that question. They want to talk to just a person. This may be a silly question, but do you think that that could be a disadvantage for you that you're so easy to get along with and talk to? Because I think people are so subdued by this political system. It's almost like they don't know what a politician is supposed to look like. And so they're used to something else, but they're not used to people who are being real with them. Do you think that the way just how transparent you are, just like now you made a comparison between science and religion, where if we're in a cafe or something, that would be very easy going, you know, like understandable, but maybe in the political discourse, they may not work the same way. What do you think about that? Like your language and the way you express yourself. I don't have a problem with it, but do you think um, you could see problems with that? Well, yeah. Um, you know, self-image psychology has something to do with the way I view that. Um, you know, we we have an identity that we create for ourselves. So I'll say to somebody, oh, who are you? And you might say, well, I'm a lawyer, or I'm a doctor, I'm a Republican, I'm a... So right away, as soon as they say who they are, how they define themselves, they're, they're setting themselves apart, right? How many times do you ask somebody, oh, who are you? Well, I'm, not, I'm just another human being. <laughs> you know, that's that's the obvious truth, isn't right. it? <laughs> mm -hmm. But, but the, you know... So, um, you know, identity has a lot, how we define ourselves. And um, so I'm, but I like to, I like to, well, I guess I love people. You know, I've learned to appreciate the differences that we have um, because it's, uh, I view it as an opportunity to learn something new. Uh, we don't come from the same place. So naturally we're not going to have the same point of view or perspective. Um, and 
to me, storytelling is one of the great, greatest things of all time. I, I love people's stories. Mm -hmm. Being a nurse, boy, you get all kinds of stories. Uh, people who have struggled and the struggle they have just to survive and what they go through. And the, then, you know, there's the tragic ones, of course. All of those people in the United States that don't have insurance that come in and not only are sick, but their family goes bankrupt because of it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, so, you know, those are the experiences and the stories that have driven me to want to make a change. And I, you know, I wanted to act. It's easy to sit back, point the finger at others, blame others for how bad everything is. But I knew that that isn't going to change a thing and it doesn't work. And if anything, it creates more animosity and more division. No, I want to do just the opposite of what every politician out there does today that profits off the division mm -hmm. and the differences um, that try to divide us so they can profit because every time there's a problem, they've got a solution. And guess what? The solution always costs us money. Of course it does. Right. Well, I mean, and I look at our system and it's the most wasteful thing in the world. Think about transportation. Now, you know, I'm like most Americans. I have a home I and I have cars. So now that I have a car, gee, I got to build a garage to keep my cars in, you know. And so we keep adding layers on layers on layers. A real civilized society, instead of having, you know, cars that are rarely used in every garage in America, they'd have vehicles, especially given our technology, that you could go to your phone, dial up, get the right vehicle at the right time, showing up at your door, takes you where you need to go, maybe to a bus station, maybe to a train station, you hop on a high-speed rail, and boom, you're in L.A. in two hours from Detroit. You know what I mean? 300-mile-an-hour vehicles. We can do that these days. So we have technologies that we're not taking advantage of. And, uh, and so, you know, that also provides opportunity for people to contribute, to do work, and to make the world that they want to make. That's the vision that I see for the future of humanity. But instead, what we've got is a system that is polluting our environment uh, unnecessarily um, because it's more profitable than it would be to change and do what we know is right. You know, it's the easy way out. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then, you know, of course, I don't want to blame voters, but it's actually the voters' fault because a lot of them, they they fall into these traps and they, they do vote against their own best interest. Uh, out of fear, they're victims. So I want to, you know, help them to see the potential in a new way of doing things. And that is a challenge. But bit by bit, I see people are coming on board on my campaign. So on the ballot access issue that we talked about earlier, I realized that it's not good enough for me to get ballot access. We need a lot of independents and third parties if we're going to break this two-party monopoly, we need a lot of independents and third parties on the ballot. Voters need a real choice, right? So instead of just building a ballot access team for myself and my campaign, I wanted to go outside and have a coalition with other independents and third parties. So we may not agree on a lot of things, and they may be running against me. I'm fine with that. And we can have debates and we can have discussions and whatever they want to do. But I want to make sure that the voters have more choices. And so I, I felt that if I'm going to be, if I needed state coordinators in every state and regional coordinators and national coordinators, so that when these states come out with their uh, petitions to get signatures, I'm all organized already. 
And the reason, so if, if I'm already going through that effort to do it, I'm asking third parties and other independents to help join in this. And then I see this organization is separate from my campaign, even though I'm beginning to build it, I want it to be independent. So it may start out um, where, where they, they are working to get me a, on a ballot, but I want them to be a permanent fixture long beyond my campaign. So I'm building these associations. I'm organizing the working class is what I'm essentially doing. Organizing the working class to compete in this class war which is what I believe we're in a class war, right? Mm -hmm. And so, well, this is just me believing it. Warden Buffett came right out and said it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he said, his statement was, we're in a class war, my class is winning. And uh, I always like to say, what is the first casualty of war? Of course, it's the truth. And that's why when you get um, Julian Assange or someone like him, they go after him, put him in jail. They don't want the truth out there. That's the last thing they want. And then the first rule of war, of course, is divide and conquer. So mm -hmm. they are set on maintaining the status quo. And the way they do that is diverting our attention and dividing us against our own self-interest. So you see people who all want a better life for themselves, their families, their children, their communities. They want to live in a peaceful world. They want to be productive. They want to be part of uh, humanity. They want to participate in life and enjoy life. But instead, they're pointing a finger, blaming one another. They're mad. They're angry. They're anxious. That's not the way it should be. And it doesn't have to be. We shouldn't accept that. So I have mm -hmm. to convince people that there's another vision for our future. And it, it can be a really beautiful future for all of our children around the globe, not just in this country. We got to go beyond our borders. We have to respect one another always first. And we need to listen to one another. And we have to have rational discussions. So I would ask you, um, if you were an independent candidate and you wanted to run for president today, how would you do it? You asking me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and your audience. I mean, that's something to think about. I had about. a deer in the headlights when you asked me that question because I have zero Is there somebody else here? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this I was me and you and your audience. I mean, that's no, well. I get what you're saying. No, um, it's um, no, it's a very, it's a crucial question to ask. Um, and the fact that you have a vision is is the first thing. It is very key that you have a vision. And I noticed that you've changed some things around too um, on your site. Um, I wanted to get to the questions, and then we're going to go back to a few things you talked about just then. You talked about balladssscoalition.com, and you also talked about um, voter insecurities and, and how to get confused a lot based on messaging. We're going to talk about that, too. I'm not going to bring up anybody in particular, but I do have certain people in mind, but I'm not going to get into those people, but we can kind of get around it. Um, one of these comments is really interesting. Chris... Um, she writes, I'm sorry, I disagree um, about voting for an independent because I don't believe in going against the Republican or the Democrat because it was split the vote and the worst candidate will win. What would you respond to that? That goes to something that you talked about earlier, um, the typical grievances of people who say if they go um, independent, 
then that actually splits the vote. Is that a bad thing? <laughs> but well, this person right here is arguing that the worst candidate will win this this um Chris. Mm -hmm. Well, um, so as I've been following politics and based on my own research, you know, you can look at the voting record of all of these candidates, right? So all of them across political parties, they always vote for those people that fund them in their interest. So that's why we see um, both parties completely in support of sending hundred billion or so dollars to Ukraine in a war that we're not going to be able to win. Even our generals know that and are telling our politicians, we can't win this war. This is, this is an unwinnable war. You don't go up against a nuclear power. And that's why we're not fighting them directly at this point, but it could spin out of control. So when you look at their voting records, you see uh, at an economic level, when it comes to taxation, when it comes to unions, which means wages for the working class, some, something that's just happened currently, the Democrats, for instance, Joe Biden, he's trying to, you know, destroy a union, a railroad union, the railroad, yeah. right? And so yeah. when you look at the actual record, when you look at the facts, not what you perceive in your mind, I perceive in my mind that that politician over there is the less, the greater evil, and I'm going to vote for this one. But when you look at the actual voting records of these people and these parties, what you find out is the two-party system's an illusion. We really only have one party, and they always support what the boss wants. And who is the boss? The boss is a handful of billionaires that could fit in my living room, for God's sakes, who make every major economic decision that truly impacts our ability to even pursue a happy life, right? All of the major, major decisions both of these parties agree on, and you can see it in the vote. So it's not just my belief mm -hmm. that there's a lesser or greater, or that there isn't a lesser or greater evil. We only have one party, okay, mm -hmm. when you look at the facts. So I would ask her to take a closer look at the, at the facts, and it's something I'd be interested in her following up with me on. She can go to my website and if she finds differently that, oh no, there's truly a difference. I would say the differences that she's going to find will be in issues that have been created specifically to divide us. And I call them wedge issues. Mm -hmm. You know what a wedge is? A wedge is something log splitters use. They put it on a log and they hit it and it breaks the log. Well, a wedge issue is an issue specifically designed to split the voting public. And you know these parties are so effective at it. Of parties. I use the word parties, even though I know there's one, but they work together to make sure they split us right down the middle. So in every election, they get it so close that they scare both sides, you know, and the president that is elected only wins by just a tiny group of votes one mm -hmm. way or the other, right? That is what you call precision organization, mm -hmm. oligarchy. They have got this thing organized. They're well organized. So one of the reasons I did the, the ballot access coalition, uh, started that driving that, is because I want to organize the working class so we can fight back. Mm -hmm. So I would ask her to take a closer look and ask herself, you know, is there really that big a difference? Now, we'll take abortion as an example. 
So I go to Republicans who tell me, I can't vote for uh, you if you believe in choice. Right. <laughs> and, and because, yeah, I, I believe in life. And I said, no, you don't understand. It isn't life or choice. It's not life or death. I don't believe in death. Actually, my policies, if implemented, would reduce the number of abortions mm -hmm. more than, let's say, the Republican you're going to vote for. Because the only thing the Republican you're going to vote for is going to do is if he succeeded, maybe pass a law that says you can't have an abortion. Some would say at six weeks, eight weeks, they draw their own lines everywhere, you know. But the bottom line is, Women that get abortions are women who feel locked in that they don't have a choice, that they can't support this child. It's not that they want to kill a child. They feel like they can't find, they can't see a way to raise a child. Maybe they're, they can barely raise it, help themselves out, right? And so they turn in, a, in desperation to an abortion, okay? Mm -hmm. So by making it illegal like the Republican Party would, all you're going to do is force these women to go get an abortion in another country, in another state, somewhere else, maybe, maybe in the streets, some hack that will then destroy her life. Now, my policies are going to help raise all of our children in a healthy, productive way. I want them all to achieve their potential. And when we have a really healthy society, when all of our children are healthy, can you imagine what we could do in our society? And these are people who are going to be able to raise their kids if they want. And first of all, if they don't, if they're educated, well-educated, like I think most will be, and if they're given the freedom to make choices about their lives, um, then they're going to not get unwanted pregnancies as much as they do now. So I feel that my policies are actually going to take the abortion rate down. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he said, I agree with you. He came to my side. Wow. So now if I've got Republicans seeing, yes, you've got a better vision for the future and you will serve my interests better than the guy I thought that would. Okay. And he came to my team. So, you know, I would ask people to take a real close, deep dive and look at the voting records of these guys and look at where they get their money. Look at who's funding them. Because once you look at the, the money, then you can always predict what their vote record is going to be in advance, mm -hmm. right? So it's not rocket science. All you have to do is follow the money. Well, most of us that work for a living don't have the time to take that deep dive. I've been retired for years, and I've had time to take the deep dive. And I really, really found out for myself that, that we really don't have a single party. I have to convince others that that's true. Um, but, uh, you know... If they don't believe me, I would ask them to go do their own homework. That's that's the hardest part I've dealt with. Um, luckily, I've gotten a few colleagues to, to kind of see what I've been seeing developing. Um, I know you and I share similar ideologies. Um, we kind of had our breaking points, though. And, um, you know, at one point I was associated with, with the Big Ten Party. But, um, you know, even when I was in a part of that group, I knew that you know, something wasn't right. There were just too many contradictions. And and now I totally understand what it means to, to, to when you say there's one party, you, you see where the money's going, you see where the special interests are. I mean, even with the abortion issue, it's, uh, just look at all the clergy that, that dedicate to both parties, all the lobbyist groups. Yeah. And it doesn't even make sense. Like, so you say to yourself, okay, 
it's a complete contradiction. So why would those people support something that I want when these groups are giving them the money? I mean, it's just, I mean, they're just common sense. You know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna. You just follow the money. I mean, it seems like that's too simple, but it's simply it's a money drag, um, unfortunately, and and human rights become something that's on the bottom. You know, it's always viewed as something on the bottom. I think. Um, well, even religious people who believe in the sanctity of life based on their religious beliefs, they understand that even their churches are businesses. They run like businesses. Yeah, they do. You know, uh, so organized religion and religious belief can be two different things. Two different things, yeah. You know, and so I found people that were, uh, you know, Republicans and religious, and they said, you know, we vote this way because this is our religious belief, and, you know, they're listening to the words that the politicians and the right are claiming. They're listening to the words of the preachers. Everybody's driving for profit. Even, I mean, look at these massive churches that they have, these online churches. Look at the money these preachers pull in. Oh, yeah. It's not like, you know, you know, money doesn't drive behavior. It does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Even in uh -huh. religion, you know. And so, sure. you know, but, but you know, uh, so the person who feels like, oh, um, I'm aligned with the Democratic Party and, and these people voting for Republicans, I they, I can't imagine how they vote for somebody evil. You know, those people have been victimized just like we have. Their families still don't get the kind of tax code that would benefit their children and their families, just like we don't, right? And so when you think about what we have in common, what we need for our children, what we need, every child needs a good education. Every child needs health care. And neither party provides it. I go to Republicans and say, well, you know, uh, somebody said, well, yeah, I can't vote for Trump, but I sure like Ron DeSantis. And I'll say, well, what is this? What is this health care plan? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Well, what is this plan for education? Uh, I don't know. You know, so all you have to do is ask that follow up question. But if you if you ask people questions and if you uh, speak, you know, honestly and respectfully and just try to have a, you know, a respectful conversation. And I ask them, well, well, what would you do? What kind of world do you want to live in? Uh, if you and I'm going to go out and do a lot of interviews, I would just walk up to people on the street and say, hey, hi, my name's John Stasich. I'm running for president in 2024 as an independent candidate. Listen, if you could talk to the president of the United States right now, what would you say to him? Mm -hmm. you know? Or do you think the country is going in the right direction? So I start out with a question. I open ended question and it starts the conversation going. And. You know what you find when you do things like that and you listen to other people and their ideas, you find that really you got so much in common. We really all have a lot more in common than we have with either of these parties. Mm -hmm. You know, so all don't watch what the politicians say. They use rhetoric to, to divide us. Mm -hmm. Those supporters of theirs make money when they do it. And they retain the system that currently exists, which is unjust and unfair. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to identify, you know, injustice. Mm -hmm. I uh, and then there's strategies for trying to open people's eyes to the reality. And I just watched that movie Till. Mm -hmm. You see that yet? I haven't watched it yet. Mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty new release. Anyway, it was about the story about Emmett Till, and it told mm -hmm. the backstory. Emmett was raised in Chicago. His mother. The, the, the child's body was mutilated mm -hmm. in the lynching, totally mutilated. 
with the NAACP's help and her own dedication to wanting real change, she decided she was going to show the world in a very real way what happened to her son. And she had an open casket. Everybody was telling her, don't do it, you know. But she left that casket open because she wanted the world to see. This is the impact, the very real impact of this current system, right? Mm -hmm. And it was effective. And some, some things changed. It shifted. During the Vietnam War, they stopped doing body counts on the news. They stopped showing the dead bodies coming home. Mm -hmm. And they did that for a reason, because they couldn't get young soldiers to sign up and go kill somebody they don't even know, right? And so this is the way things work in real life. Mm -hmm. We have to, so we have to, I have to get creative in trying to get people to think beyond their current beliefs and mm -hmm. try to try to see themselves as part of a, of humanity. Try to see that we have common interests. That in reality, we are the majority. We are the ones with the power, but we can't just hand it off to somebody else or walk away from our responsibility. We actually have to act. We have to act. Otherwise, somebody else is just going to be, that's better organized, will act for us. And that's what's been happening all along. But if you want a better world for your kids and for the future generations, if you want a better world for your family, you're going to have to get up off the couch Stop being diverted by Sunday night football, no matter how much you like it. At least spend a little time getting engaged in democracy and and, and making your voice heard. Mm -hmm. I'm providing, I think, people that avenue. Um, this campaign is not about me. It's really about providing an avenue for working class people to organize and have their voice heard. And that's what I'm hoping that we can accomplish. Before I continue with some of these comments and questions, I do have a question about something you brought up. I think the biggest issue with these people not changing their minds, I think that they know that there's problems, but I think that the breaking point for them in their mind is that it's a generational stagnancy. And so my question for you is how do you get different generationals, uh, generational approaches into your campaign so people can see the light that this has happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Because I remember when I was a 20-year-old liberal, I thought that the blue team was just the best team ever. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm 40 years old, I look back at my 20-year-old self, mm -hmm. and a lot of that was a byproduct of my generation. And just, you know, the way I was groomed and everything else. But it takes a time for some people, I think. But... How, how do you mesh those types of forces and, and how do you find those sort of, um, I guess, those kinks? Right. So I've got some very incredible uh, marketing people in my campaign. And so my natural uh, tendency is to try to reach people through logic. But logic doesn't always work. Some people act on emotions. Right. And so I've had I've got a lot of, uh, well, women who are very welcome in my campaign because they're providing me with a perspective that I, even though I understand human psychology, I didn't really understand it well enough to get people to shift their views. And so what they, they told me, and it's why I'm now going to people that storytelling can be very powerful. 
And when I go and interview a person, if I see a homeless person on the street and I start asking them about our system, and then I put that on that video on uh, TikTok, that's a very real story that touches people's heart, right? When you see the person who's impacted, when I talk to somebody who's in the hospital and they can't afford health care and they feel, they're afraid that they're going to go broke and I'm interviewing them, that's going to be a compelling story. And it's going to hit people, not in the brain, but in the heart. And so I've learned from some of my marketing team that that's uh, another strategy for opening the mind. Once you get to the heart, then people are willing to pay attention. So it's something that's not natural to me, but and I had to learn. So I'm thankful for the team that is uh, coming to us. And actually, I'm asking everyone in your audience to go to my website and become part of our team to try to help me change the world. Uh, and let's create what we really want and deserve rather than what we have. I think everybody that you talk to, if you sit down and talk to almost anyone, they know there's so much injustice in our world. They know it's not right. And they know that they've got a dream for a better world. Mm -hmm. Getting them to act on that is the thing. So I'm asking people to think about that and get involved in something. And if you don't like my campaign, get involved in another one. But get involved. Don't just accept what is today. We don't have to. That's a choice. For sure. Um, Oberella says, if you register as an independent, it keeps them guessing and it's harder for them to control your vote. Uh, Kim says, vote independent always. Uh, Daryl Davis says, lifelong, he's a lifelong Democrat voter. He says they're both corrupt. I hear this a lot from people that I associate with. Um, I do have some Republican friends, but I'd say 70, 30 would be Democrat. And a lot of them acknowledge that both parties are corrupt. So I'm, and now I ask them, so what makes this side less corrupt than the other one? That, that, that's what confuses me. Andre says just in DC. And I think what he means is what this person says. They didn't want to be um, named, but they said, instead of debating on voting, we should be working to get rid of Congress we should represent ourselves and find a president for the people. What do you say to that kind of sentiment, especially um, the last two, just in DC and the one I just read? Uh, well, I, let me tackle the one on, on getting rid of Congress. Um, I think that there's probably a lot of people in Congress who really wanna do the right thing, but in order to, for them to survive in their careers, in their political careers, they have to dial for the dollars. So they're not able to. And I think that, if, if I were to go to, as president, if I were to go to Congress and demand that we have only publicly funded elections, I want all of the money out of politics. I want, I want an amendment to the Constitution that says you can only use public dollars in campaigning and in, in the election process. Let's get all special interests out. Like some people say, well, what do you want to do? You impact the Supreme Court, put more people in there so we can reverse uh, Citizens United. That may be a way to do it, but I want to change the Constitution. I want to make it stick forever. And so I'm going to challenge everyone in Congress to stop, you know, being driven by the money. If you're only in it for the money, and if you're not willing to sign and, uh, and vote for a new amendment to change our Constitution to get all special interest money out, we'll make it unambiguous for the Supreme Court, you know. 
So will Citizens United will disappear because we can have a new a new amendment to the Constitution that demands and dictates mm -hmm. that only publicly funded money elections will occur and only oh, campaigns can only get their money publicly. But it wouldn't have to be that much money because we own the public airwaves. So, for instance, we could use our public airwaves to give everyone a voice. And then we could have ranked choice voting and a process that cuts the field down. So we want as many candidates, people that want to run for public office to come in. And then we have to have a rational process for narrowing the field so that you get maybe, I don't know, five, six choices on a ballot for every position. And then, and then you can go on the Internet and you could see their recorded interviews and you could research, make the research real easy, accessible for everybody. So every politician can get his voice heard. Every politician can get his message out there. The people have several choices and they vote. That's democracy. That's what we want. So we can do that. And for those politicians who refuse to sign that, I'm going to expose them because I'll have the bully pulpit. I'll have access to the media as president. And I'll have, if I get elected, I'll have a base of 100 million people that I can organize and target on any district. And I'll walk into that district and I won't wait for the midterms. We're going to recall them. Get them out of there. If they're in it just for the money, get them out. You know, that's what I want to do. We're going to clean Congress. So job number one, I've always said, is get the money out of politics. And that's how we're going to do it. So if I can get 100 million people to agree to that, if they agree that, yeah, these parties are corrupt, we got to get the money out. If they agree with that, want to get rid of all that dark money, all of the special interest money, so that votes count instead of dollars. If they can agree with that, then they should come to my campaign and help me get it done. Once we do that, now we can change the world. Now we can take care of all of our families. Mm -hmm. Now we can really unite the people. You've heard every president say, oh, I'm going to unite all the people. I'm going, to, I'm going to be the people's president. I'm going to work for all the people. Yeah, right. No, you aren't. You got too many conflicts of interest. You got conflicts of interest with your funders. You got conflicts of interest within your own party because you're part of that tribe. You know, that's why we need a people's president. Yeah, we definitely need a people's president. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. And um, it, something you said there, though, is just um, would you really do you think that the media would be behind you? I know you said that you'd have 100 million people base, but do you really believe that the media will be on your side? Do you I think, think that depends on I think that depends on the people. So if I get enough people supporting me, like, for instance, I don't get enough interviews from uh, what people that call themselves progressive uh, independent media group, right? So, Jimmy Dore, you got this big audience. Why did you wait until a week before the election to invite Diane Sayre, who ran as an independent New York in, to get her message out one week before the election? You should have been had her on your show a year ago when she first started running. So the people that are in my campaign once we're organized, they have to go after these media companies, the, the, the big ones and the small ones, and say, why aren't you getting our independence on your show? Why isn't their voice being heard? Some of those guys may be in it just for the division works for them. Oh, they talk all day long about the problems, but I'm a solution. Why aren't you bringing me on to talk about the solutions, mm -hmm. right? And not just me, others. We want more voices, not less. And we want people that have solutions to the problems, 
We know what the problems are. We live it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to remind me that the internet, uh, uh, the guys that own these internet giant social media networks are starting to throttle it, divide us, screen us. We know that. We know the mainstream media is corrupt. Everybody knows that. It doesn't matter which party. Everybody knows that they're, the, the Congress is corrupt. They know the president's corrupt. They know we're in perpetual wars for profit and they don't like it. They don't like sending their kids overseas to wars. We know that oil is polluting our planet and that it's going to threaten all of humanity. We know all these things, right? And we know that every child doesn't get an equal education. And it's based on birthright. Where are you born? Which family you're born in? How much wealth does your family have? We know that's not the way for, for our children to achieve their potential and for us to have a really healthy, happy, thriving society and world. Because once we do it, the rest of the world will copy us. We want to actually engage the world. We don't want to be at war with them. Mm -hmm. you know? These are common sense things that everybody knows. And who's talking about it? So I'm asking people that's to come to my website, sign up. I've got a form there. Get involved. Help me do it. Go to these media people and put pressure on them. Say, get this guy on. He's my candidate. I want to hear him on TV. Right? That's the kind of pressure that nobody, no matter how much money you have, they'll all fold. Mm -hmm. you got got 100 million people together. Everybody folds. And so is this part of your um, BallotAssetsCoalition.com? Is that, is that part of um, your way to get visibility beyond, I guess, mainstream media visibility, everything? Right. Well, not mm -hmm. only that, I'm going to go to, so I'm going to have my own YouTube channel and I'm going to have multiple guest hosts. Okay. So for instance, I would ask you, or I would ask Savvy Sabs, or I would ask a lot of different people, would you guest host my station? my YouTube channel. And I would invite a lot of different people in so we can have discussions. Okay. I'll go on some of them, but we'll have discussion groups and we want to invite people that question us. We want to, we want them to challenge us. Mm -hmm. Right. So we want to be very interactive. So yeah, I'm asking people, I need all kinds of people with all kinds of skills, people that understand the internet and media I've got some people in my camp, but I need a lot more. We can't have enough. I need a hundred million. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want everybody involved. I want everyone involved. Something you said earlier that um, struck a nerve with me is uh, you mentioned Jimmy Dore, and I I kind of avoid those kind of people. Just like bring them up on my pod because uh, my friend Tyler, um, I invited him on as a guest, and. Um, He's one of those types of voters. He's just getting into politics and he's really trying to learn how this corruption works and everything mm -hmm. because he's had to change his ways over the last few years just with the volatile political climate and all the headlines, just constant fear mongering on the news. And um, he likes Jimmy Dore and stuff. And I told him I have my reservations with Dore. Um, to me, Dore's more in it for views and clicks. Uh, a lot of these in, so-called independent media channels are basically, it's almost like they use the mainstream media strategies. Mm -hmm. They use clickbait techniques and they use, um, like he his whole thing is the Young Turks, his rivalry with the Young Turks. And yeah. he left the Young Turks. And mm -hmm. 
So you're still talking about something from six years ago, and that's why you're relevant now. Like, well, it's, why, it's, it's like, the same thing that it's the same thing that the mainstream media does, you know. Uh, so you're right there. There, they sensationalism gets clicks, and for the mainstream media, that means advertisers, and probably for Jimmy Dore too. Not not just building your audience and your you know Patreon community but the clicks right and so and that's why that's why i brought jimmy door up because he does have the audience and and so he he comes right out and he criticizes the mainstream media constantly you guys don't give uh so-and-so platform when i remember when bernie was running jimmy door complained because bernie wouldn't come on to his show mm -hmm. well i've got a better message than bernie how come you haven't invited me on well mm -hmm. he wanted bernie because it would bring more clicks exactly. well john you're not well enough known why would I bring you on? Well, because I actually have solutions to all the problems you talk about day in and day out. That's why. Mm -hmm. So show us, put your money where your mouth is. Don't just tell us about the problems. Bring on people who can actually solve the problems. There was a there was a little bit of a movement going, you know, door 2024. Jimmy came right out and said, I'm not running for president. I'm not going to do the one, be the one to make the change. Well, you're not even bringing people on that will on your show. Mm -hmm. So I'm pointing out the hypocrisy. I'm asking people in the audience to go to these guys and say, hey, you know, put your money where your mouth is. You talk about them being uh, hypocrites. What about you? Mm -hmm. How come you haven't had John on your show yet? He's been on many shows. Where are you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's how we get his attention, you know, and that so that's how we get out on the media. But I'm not just waiting for them to interview me, too, because I'm going to have my own YouTube channel. We're going to bring our own people in. We're going to have our own discussions. They call them debates. I call them discussions because a debate seems a little uh, adversarial. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to be anyone's adversary. I want to be uh, someone they collaborate with. Mm -hmm. I want to have, I want to, I want to be the person that they can talk to and have a discussion, a rational discussion. There's a lot of options for what kind of healthcare system we ought to have in this country or what kind of transportation. How would you do it? What would you do? What's the most efficient? Let's 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 come up with some options for the American people to say, man, that makes sense. That's the one we want. You you already touched on it about your strategies to curb in case the mainstream media doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Like you're going oh, to have no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fact. You just stated a fact. <laughs> <laughs> but. I guess my question is outside of independent media, and this may be hypothetical, maybe it's not hypothetical, but when do you anticipate potential appearances on mainstream media? And if so, this is a two-parter. How do you plan on sustaining this enhanced visibility if you do get on mainstream media? Because I know people who go on shows like Fox Business News, but that's almost as far as that, as that, that allows them to get on. Like they get onto a certain tier of visibility, but they don't let them break through to like maybe the the headliner on CNN, like the main guest or something. Well, I'll go on any media show that's uh, owned or operated by by humans. That's my limitation. <laughs> if you're human, you have a voice. I'm on. No, because I want to talk to everyone, right? I mean, uh, like I said, we're all human. We all have the same thing. Now, a lot of these, a lot of these guys, you know, they bring you on because, well, they're, first of all, they're, they're, they're never, the mainstream politicians are never going to want to debate me because I would clean their clock. They don't have any answers. 
I would clean their clock on stage. So I would say to Trump and Biden, yeah, come on, join me. Come on to my channel. Let's have a discussion. Let's find out what your answers are. I'm interested in knowing. And then sign a document that says you're pushing that and show me how you're going to push it and tell me how you're going to do it, right? Which is what I expect voters to ask me. Okay, John, how are you going to clean Congress? You know, mm -hmm. and I say, it's not going to be just me. It's going to be a hundred, hundred million of you. And we're going to go right into their district and they're either going to sign this legislation or we're going to get rid of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So once the, once, once our people unite and get together, we can, we can make anything happen. So that's the how. So I, I, you know, so we need that kind of transparency from all of these guys and we're not getting it and we shouldn't settle for that. I mean, that is outrageous. Don't you think? I know it is. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you probably, you've listened to enough of my content to know where I stand on the <laughs> I did. I have. <laughs> I was just pulling your leg. <laughs> virtually, and of I, course, you know, and, virtually. I and I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Like I, I keep a professional tone for sure, but I definitely can go off the rails at times. But <laughs> but no, I think that sentiment is it's a real sentiment though. And and again, I appreciate the the retention of my listeners. You know, even if the times I do come across as really serious and aggressive, but um, I really just want to get the information out. I want people to have alternative views, um, different approaches to things, and. I'm not in it for money. I'm in it to. Can to I ask educate you a question people. about? Um, so you talk about all of your uh, listeners. Um, would there be a way to like bring those listeners in, kind of like George Galloway does, where they can call and and actually talk, and and we could, you know, I could I could look into setting something like that up for sure. Um, especially once your campaign gets going. I, I could definitely, um, we could organize something like that. Yeah, I can make that happen. Because when I do my YouTube channel and I get somebody that can manage that, um, I haven't got that person in place yet. I've got a couple of people I'm looking at. Um, if you know anybody that has those skills and would like to, you know, uh, you know, work with our campaign to do that, let me know. If anyone in your audience knows, I'm, I'm all, you know, anyone that's got any kind of skills that could help our campaign, we're interested in talking to them and, and getting their input. Uh, some of them are going to be technologists that, you know, can maybe put something like that together because what we really want to do is we want to engage with real people. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you read a, something and, and I'll give an answer. They may or may not be able to give you the follow-up question like, Oh, now that you gave me that answer, I want to go deeper with them, you know? And so I think that's uh, something in these types of interviews that, that, uh, is lacking a little bit, right? It could be, it could be better. Uh, how is your engagement coming along on social media? I had a question because I saw you do have a TikTok yeah. account. So my marketing team is uh, responsible for all of that stuff and they're getting very creative. I mean, you've probably seen some of the little short things, you know, uh, that they're doing little, little short videos. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll show a, 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 a balloon, a hot air balloon floating around and <laughs> spins around and there's Stasovich 2022 point. And they I got, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they have another one that's kind of cute. It's, it's like a Google search and they type in, uh, you know, I don't know, president 2024 or something like that. And up pops my name or they got a, a drone flying in, dropping a block and they turn around <laughs> It says John Stasovich for president 2024, cute little real quick grabbers, you know. 
Um, so we're trying as many different things as we can. It takes a lot of people with a lot of different skills to, to put that content together and get it out there, distribute it, you know. We haven't even had our major press release. We're waiting until just after the first of the year because we think, you know, the holiday season is a funny time. Mm -hmm. oh, so we're trying to make sure we build our team and get our core really, really strong. And then the, also, I've got a director coming on to manage this a national director for this ballot access coalition. So now that I've got that national, so he can work the database. So people go to my website and they complete that form and they say, I want to help you get on a ballot. I want to join the ballot access coalition, help with that. Then we campaign team follows up with them and says, would you like to be a state coordinator? Would you like to be a regional coordinator? How would you like to work? How many hours can you put in? We got all kinds of different people. I guess some people are retired and they have a lot of time. We've got other people who are maybe college students. They've got limited time, but they can put in a couple hours a week. We want to work with uh, a lot of people. Now, this particular guy that I'm looking at lives in North Carolina. And uh, he's been involved nationally in some other political organizations. And he's his major is uh, business leadership and his minor is poli sci. He said he may end up reversing that. I said, well, you come to my campaign, you're going to get better than you get out of that poli sci degree. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Two years with me, you're going to learn more than you ever wanted to know. You know. Uh, so, you know, so we're getting, we're starting to get young people involved. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a, he's a college student. So that's a big effort for him. He's not only trying to get through school, he's trying to help our campaign out. So we're getting people from all walks of life. I've got a guy who's an attorney in California um, and his wife died two years ago. So he's gone through a real transition in his own life, but he can provide us with some legal advice. So he comes in. So he's part of a steering committee you know, helping guide us. Mm -hmm. So there's, everybody's got something to offer. Okay. Now, what does it take to be a state coordinator in our ballot access coalition? What we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to build this network and we're going to allow these people to access one another. So we might have like a, a closed Facebook group for this. So they can all communicate. Here's what I did that works. Here's how we can get signatures. And here's where we plan on going, you know, different ideas so they can, so they're connected. That's why this thing can live far beyond me. We want it to be a little bit separate from the campaign, even though we're putting the, the pieces in place. So we want state coordinators in every state. In fact, multiple state coordinators. We want to go right down to the county level. We'd like people in, right at the county level in every state. So when that state says, we here's the ballot, we're releasing it for acts, or the, I mean, the petition, and you need 15,000 signatures or whatever, we already have our game plan in place. And it's like hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. So that's so that's why I'm working now to build that. And so I want to really get that thing going and taking off between now and, and the first of the year. So that come the first of the year when we do our press release, then we can really start taking off. My marketing team can start hitting the internet real hard. I'll have people out there on the streets. We have to have people on the streets knocking on doors, door to door, mouth to mouth, friend to friend, family member to family member. And we're going we're gonna to share how to discuss with people so you don't end up with this animosity mm -hmm. and, 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 and enjoy the differences. Maybe you're going to learn from them. Maybe you'll bring something valuable back to the campaign, right? Because mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? They might have a great idea. If they do, I want to know about it. You know. And so engaged people say, well, what would you do? What would you do? 
How are you going to get all of our children? Don't you agree it's better to have every child educated to the very max that they can take? I'd like to shove their brains just so full that they're going, I've had enough. <laughs> if it was only that true. <laughs> but, but, we, but we want it to be a lifelong thing. We want people to always have access to education and they shouldn't go broke doing it because it's the best investment as a society we can make. We have to invest in ourselves. When we stop funding all of these perpetual wars for profit, when we build a, a, an infrastructure, a transportation infrastructure, imagine how much money we're going to save. When we get rid of all of these prisoners that are locked up there, for, and they should be helping us get ahead, we need to, we need to rehabilitate them, get them back in the fold, get them working with us, get them as part back into humanity, become contributors, not, not liabilities. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, think about a health, just the healthcare system alone. I think I told you before, we could save $18 trillion just by copying Germany and we get better results or Netherlands, you name it. 18 trillion bucks. What would you do with 18 trillion? I know what I want to do with it. I'm going to invest in our people. And then I want to put the investment where it's needed the most. So one of the things that you probably heard on that last podcast is I find out, wow, if you're if you're a black family in America, you've got 16% of the wealth on average of the average white family. What? Well, there's something wrong there. What along racial lines? That makes no sense at all. Right? Mm -hmm. We can't tolerate that. No wonder we have these. And so what we need to do, what we need to do is, uh, is put the money where it's needed the most. We got to level that playing field. So when the communities look like the one my daughter's in, very diverse, multinational, multiple languages, lots of different ideas, people, kids coming together. You know, those kids, they get along. They're fine. It's once they hit the adult world that everything starts going haywire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I want to keep them in school longer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think kids naturally get along, naturally get along, you know, and they're curious naturally. They're curious about the world. And so all we have to do is feed them the right way. And then they'll end up like my kids. They'll have PhDs and masters. And imagine what our world will be like when we have that. Just imagine. <laughs> okay, John Lim. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I was thinking about this whole idea of um, the, the third part is the independent candidates. Have you, did you watch the last debates that they had? On YouTube, um, um, I, I was I was encouraged but concerned at the same time because the concern was that none of my friends knew about it that there was a debate between the Constitution Party, the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, all these different third mm -hmm. party independents in there. I wasn't they, invited. They actually had this last presidential cycle. They were there, and. It had like so few views on YouTube. Like it's absolutely crazy. And oh, you're like, talking about the last presidential cycle. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And, and that's the thing about it. no one knew about it, yeah. which is scary. And so yeah. it, what you're taking on is a massive, um, it's a massive challenge because yeah. you, you're one person and I'm thinking, okay, that's 20 people debating. And they still can't get a lot of visibility. And I'm like, how do we break through that that protocol that's there? Something's obviously causing that to be the way it is because the statistics don't add up. They're more independent voters than anybody. I know someone made a comment, a commenter on the last pod said that um, 
the votes aren't there for independence. So something mm -hmm. to that degree, which is absolutely false. It just is. Pew mm -hmm. Research Center says it's false. Gallup Poll says it's false. Yeah. There's just more independent voters than there are whatever this monopoly duopolist system is. So why is that that the visibility is so low when you have events like that where people are running for the president of the United States, 20 people, but no one knows about them? Well, see, that's why I, I that's why we're building a database and we're backing it up offline. Okay. okay. So when people come to us and we're keeping this database, and this database is going to go again way beyond my campaign, because we're going to share it, right? We want people connected. We so so if we can't do it fast enough for my election, that's fine. I mean, I, I think we can and I intend to. I intend to win this thing. Uh, I think I'm going to be able to get enough people uh, together to do this. But so when when they have a ballot access petition that they release in the state, I don't want if they say I want we need 15,000 signatures. I don't I want 150,000 or or 1.5 million. I want to overwhelm that system so that they can't ignore us. They can't say it doesn't exist because we're going to have copies. We got it in the database. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're communicating. And so, man, they would have an awful hard time, even in a rigged court, when we have the data records of all those people that sign those petitions or anything, you know. But what does that require? It requires each and every person out there talking, communicating. You know, Bernie Sanders really did it. I mean, they just pulled the rug out from under him. I'm convinced in 2016. Had Bernie Sanders taken, he would have been president. If they, if they, if Hillary Clinton hadn't, if the Democratic Party hadn't just ripped it out from under him, and he would have won again in 2020 if he, if they had given him. But that's never going to happen in either of those parties. When they put a president in or somebody in a high leadership position, they've already been vetted. We already know they're corrupt. We can count on them. When we hand them that check, they're going to vote the way we tell them to vote, mm -hmm. right? Well, we're going to keep records too. So um, can I do it fast enough? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I can't predict the future. I'm going to try. Uh, but it really depends on, are the American people really ready for change? And you don't know if you don't get engaged. Mm -hmm. uh, I, my personal experience is when I talk to people across all the whole political divide, I get positive responses from everyone. It depends on how you talk to them. So I'm setting the example on how to talk to people. I'm going to do shoot videos, short videos. I'm going to interview people and I'm going to put them out there. And I hope that my followers will look at that and they'll come up with their own ways and they'll be communicating internally. And so whatever works, we're going to share, you know, mm -hmm. but there is nothing like the old fashioned person to person, mouth to mouth, door to door, friend to friend, family member to family member. People that have been conditioned to allow their anger to damage relationships with other people, we're going to try to recondition them. Nobody wants that, really. But they're frustrated and they're anxious. When they see, you have to keep the vision of what you want in mind. Because when you have a positive vision and you keep that in the back of your mind, and that's what you're shooting for, then if somebody has a different vision, 
There's no reason to get angry about it. You just share what your vision is. I think there are enough good people out there that will jump on board. You know, the old thing in Germany is what they said is that the problem, injustice exists because good people remain silent. Mm. We got plenty of good people in this country. Really good people all over. All they have to do is not remain silent. We know it's unjust. Everybody knows it. So come on. You know? Okay, you want to watch your Sunday night football? Don't watch Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. One of those nights, give to the community. Give to our country. Give to our people. Give to humanity. Protect your children. Protect your families. Protect your friends. Protect our communities. Give something. Yes, that's a very powerful message. I like the sports analogy, too. A lot of times I compare politics to sports. It's, um, it, it baffles me how people are so engaged in these spectacles. And and I like sports myself. I'm a, I'm a competitive athletic person. But at the end of the day, it's, um, that goes into a certain compartmentalization of my mind. It can't be like the main focus for me, you know, because it's, it's sports at the end of the day. Sports yeah. can be uniting. Well, I've but, always wondered whether sports are actually real or rigged because there's so much money in it. I mean, um, so, you know, every time money seems to get involved, there's, you know, I remember when I was younger thinking that wrestling was a real deal, man. Oh, yeah, that, that guy just slammed him. And he, you know, no, I find out later on and I get older that it's actually rigged, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, wow, really? Well, I definitely, um, I'm actually going to have someone come on um, to talk about that specific subject it's funny that you mentioned that because um it, it's it's my contention that sports are rigged 100 percent um especially with um and i'm familiar with these situations just you look at the point totals of some of these games and it, there's no way that a basketball game can have a point total of 230 points and and the final is at 229 total points and then the last person misses the free throw to not i mean it's it's not coincidental. It happens way too often, um, especially in the major leagues. And um, I've came to the conclusion that there's definitely point shaving. At the very least, there's point shaving. And players know about it. And the referees definitely know about it. You know, I always wondered why in the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, NFL and NBA, why don't the players, why aren't they the owners? Gosh, they're doing all the darn work. <laughs> and then they could hire a manager, you know? I mean, a manager should work for, don't you think it's like a, a, a sports co-op? Why aren't they the owners, for God's sakes? They could easily, and if they were the owners, they wouldn't have to, they wouldn't have to be supporting these billionaires, you know? You could get rid of all that dead weight and you could lower the ticket price so people could get out and enjoy it as a family, for cripes sakes, you know? Mm -hmm. Somebody was telling me they went to a, a football game. Well, it, it's true, I guess, in music business, too. Maybe about... Uh, Who's this, this blonde gal out of, I don't know, is it Nashville? She's a start out in country. And, and Taylor Swift? Huh? Taylor Swift. $35,000 <laughs> for a ticket. What the Yeah, heck? I saw that. I saw that. What yeah. the heck? <laughs> you know, she's got a lot of fans that would like to enjoy her music and have fun at, you know. But man, 35000 she knows she doesn't need that. And she doesn't even want it. But the system, right? So I'm wondering if if, if why these, these uh, professional athletes don't get together and just say, we've just decided now that we don't need you, Mr. Owner. So you're gone. We're forming our own business. You know, we're incorporating. We now own a business. We might hire you if we think you're good enough. 
I think it's um I think it's that um is the fear of the unknown. Um people people are still scared of change, unfortunately. And um a lot of what we're hitting on is uncomfortable for a lot of Americans. It, it kind of goes into my last question because I think a lot of voters are unfamiliar with some of the ideologies, the, the deep ideological um, things that are at play when these politicians definitely play on their emotional strings. We don't even get to talk about ideology. We don't get to talk about um, the issues because we're so focused on the emotional aspect, the emotional realm. Um, my question for you would be, um, how do you explain the dangers of capitalism to the average voter? Just to give an example, how would you explain something like that to the average voter if they had sort of conflicts about not understanding what that is? Because maybe it means something differently to different people. But just um, how do you navigate those types of things when you're breaking it down to someone who is trying to discover themselves in this um, system of corruption? I'm learning how to do it better than I originally, because originally I would use a C word, right? And then people automatically, there's people, as soon as I say capitalism, they're turned off and they're not listening to another word I say. So, you know, so maybe I'll tell a story now, because I think stories can be more powerful without, and I can allude to the inefficiency. So it's one thing for me to say capitalism is an inefficient economic system, right? But if I tell a story about the inefficiency, I say, Imagine that our car companies have the ability to build a car that'll go 5 million miles and it'll start up every time. It'll never die. It'll be reliable. And then I say something like, but they're never going to do it. Even though we have the technology, they're never going to do it. And they say, well, what do you mean they're never going to do it? Well, they can't do it because if they did, they'd never get a repeat customer and their business model depends on having repeat business. And so therefore, we don't create what's efficient. We keep mining the earth and rebuilding crap. <laughs> Something less than optimal based on the technology and our technological capability. Yeah. And then after they buy into that, then I can say, that's the way capitalism works. And then they go, oh. So you tell the story first. And then you can kind of like, then once you get the buy-in, then you can say, yeah, but that's, that's the way our economic system works. It's not just in automobiles, it's in everything. So we, we go, you, uh, the business model in capitalism, you have to grow and you need to repeat things. So I could tell a story about uh, cruise missiles. You realize we have to be in perpetual wars for profit. There's no other choice. Well, what do you mean there's no choice? No, no, we have to go to war and we have to keep, because we have to blow up the missiles. You see, somewhere there's a business owner and he's got a payroll and he's got people that work for him and he's got investors and he's got to pay them their, you know, um, he's got to give them their share of the profit. Mm -hmm. He's got to pay the payroll. The minute we stop blowing up those missiles, he's out of business. And then I can say, but that's the way capitalism works. So if you tell the story and people could go, well, that doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense to be in perpetual wars. I mean, nobody, does anybody really want to be in perpetual wars? You know the damage. So you can also show the picture, start bringing the bodies home, showing the body, showing what war really is, not the glorified version that you see on MSNBC or Fox or any other mainstream media. 
the glorified soldier, you know, coming home, he's a hero, you know. No, they're coming home without brains, without legs, mental issues. Everybody that goes into a war zone comes out a different person. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you tell the stories and then you drive it back to the system. And then you can say, see, it isn't people that are the problem. The problem is the system. And when you have a systemic problem, the solution is a systemic change. Mm -hmm. Now we talk about the change. Yeah, that's, I like that approach. I do. I think that's effective. Um, I just, um, I'm looking at the landscape and it just seems like with some of these voters, they, it's like they understand, they see that and it's like they still, it's almost like you said earlier, it's just ingrained in them almost like a religion. Well, marketing, marketing is the, is, you know, they pay a lot of money for people to market to them. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, so marketing is a science and, and these people that are doing the marketing, they understand human psychology. They know how to play on people's emotions and fears. They know how to tug those heartstrings, yeah. bring a tear to your eye when you're watching a commercial about a car. Oh, come on. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> but they do, you know. And then you go to the dealership and they set you in that car so you can feel, oh, doesn't that feel good? Yeah, you only be paying, you know, you know, $5,000 a month for the next 20 years, you know, and you could be in that vehicle, you know. I mean, so, so yeah, the, the marketers, they know how to work on people's emotions. And, and so I have to learn how to do the same. Like I said, normally I go for the, my normal thing is to be logical and rational. And these women that have come to my campaign said, no, 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 you don't understand how emotions work. Yeah, because I'm not, that's not the, my natural thing. That's not what I'm naturally good at doing, but I'm learning. I'm learning how to tell stories better. That's good. I like that. Um, and if that's what it takes, you know, then well, then that's what you have to do. And, and it's the old train to trainer. If I can learn it, so can you. Definitely. Yeah, I hope you have a lot of success with um, your strategies. And um, you're always welcome on our show, on our forum. And I'm pretty sure that I can help you down the road some kind of way um, with the ballot access initiatives and everything else. And I do like it that you're not doing it just for yourself. You're also thinking about the bigger picture. And I did lie about the final question. I would be um, giving my, doing myself a disservice if I didn't ask this question before we left about this in the two-party system group that's on Facebook. I know you're a part of that group and I am as well. Um, oh, Billy, yeah. Uku, Billy Uku Jr. is actually the founder of that group. I've tried to get him on and we've kept in touch and I think he will join eventually, but he's been really busy recently. Actually, one of their members from that group joined my campaign and is uh, on a, was on our steering committee working on a ballot access initiative. That's awesome. So one of, one of the people from that group is actually working on that uh, program. Have you tried to get on their um, social media platforms and, and podcasts? Because they have their own um, podcasters. Well, you know, I need, I need help with that. Uh, I haven't got a person. I need to get a person who can direct um, that initiative. In other words, do nothing but constantly work on booking me on different platforms. So I need a I need a person that can take that focus. I don't have that person yet. 
So if you know anybody that could, you know, help me with that, that feels like they're really involved with, uh, with these different media groups and they know how to get access and they can drive that. Even if they can only work a few hours a week, we put a team of people together and their combined efforts. Maybe they could, you know, work the, work the internet, work the social media platforms, work with their friends and, and, and get enough people going to these different sites and demanding that they put me on. And that's, what's going to make it happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Because once they see that there's a, you know, there's a need, they're going to fill it. So that's the system that we have, right? They 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 work in their self-interest. A hundred percent. And um and I think we've already exposed kind of like the 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 battles, but there are some silver linings, I think, as well. And I like it that you're focusing on the silver linings of it. Um you do have control um of your campaign and you have control of your messaging. It's just um I think you may have to navigate it a little bit differently than some of the traditional candidates that run. Um, but I think that what you're doing, I like the way that you've changed your site. Um, it's a subtle change, but I think, I don't know what it is about it, but it feels more uniting. It feels more, um, it feels less threatening, I think. Mm -hmm. Because I believe at first, people would make assumptions about maybe like the views that you would have. And I think now it's less um, of an assumption of what your views are. And I, th and I think in ways that's more inviting to people. Well, and and uh, so a website is an interesting thing. It's it's a living, it's like a living document, you know, so it, it, it's always going to be changing. So, you know, I'll read something one day. And of course, you know, it's not something that I just do. I mean, I have a team of people that work on this stuff, right? And and I don't always get to review everything, every aspect of everything, just because I run. And then someday I'll be looking at it going, well, gee, I don't really get this. And even on my own website, right? It's like, what are we doing here? You know, I don't get it. And so I go back to them and we, and we, and we have our weekly meetings and we talk about things like that. Um, or anybody comes up and says, Hey, I don't get this. What are you saying here? If I get something, somebody on, on Facebook or TikTok, anything where, where somebody comments and says, Hey, what are you talking about here? I don't get this. Then I know that I'm not the message isn't right. And then I can go back and bring that up into, into with my marketing manager, basically director of marketing. And then he works with his group to take care of that, you know, but it's evolves. It evolves over time. And, uh, and then too, like I said, you know, we learn new things every day too. And there's new issues that come up uh, that are front and center. And maybe, maybe we need to focus more on that just because, you know, these, these media platforms, they're really good at that. They'll take the, the, the news cycle, the the thing of the day, right? And uh, that put it right out front there, you know, because that's where all the attention is going that day. And then in another day or two, well, that's gone. No more talk about Julian Assange. Today we're talking about whatever. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know. We, we've seen that with the Ghislaine Maxwell trial and everything else. I mean, but since I saw you, I was at the Julian Assange event in front of the, uh, in D.C. And uh, so I met some very interesting people there, made some nice connections, um, good group of people. Um, obviously, you know, Julian Assange, he never redacted anything that, that he published and all he did was publish. He didn't, you know, the information was handed to him. Right. So, and, uh, we ought to be celebrating whistleblowers. My gosh. I remember when I was young, some of the places I worked, they had a box. You could drop in a suggestion box or you could, it was anonymous. You could drop in a complaint. 
you know, I think I want that in the White House. Give me a virtual anonymous box. I want to hear what's going on from people within the organization. I find out somebody's out there, you know, cheating, out there for themselves, not serving the public. You're a public employee, right? Um, committing crimes. Man, we got we to gotta take that guy out, pull him to the side, reform him. Let him know, no, that's not what you're here for. You got the wrong attitude. Can we fix this? You know. So, yeah, Julian Assange, um, for my listeners, you all have to check out that episode that we did. Um, Paula Iacella, Mike Miccioli, and Susan McLucas. It's, it's worth a listen. Um, a lot of my viewers had never, again, they didn't know who Julian Assange was. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of these whistleblowers, a lot of these journalists that are basically um, in prison right now around the world, he's not the only one, but he's definitely, um, I hope he doesn't become the face of it, you know, and and that's the end result of it. You know, hopefully he can get his freedom in the end. But um, do you have any other final thoughts, um, comments with my audience before we leave this afternoon? Well, you have an international audience. Um, I'm always interested in perspectives and how other countries view us. Uh, every once in a while, you go online and you see some expat, somebody that left and has been away for 10 years. And definitely, you get a different perspective. Uh, I think people, by traveling, they really grow a lot, right? Because they're outside of our this bubble. And it's always so interesting to hear their stories. So you must... Uh, you know, that's great that you're growing an international community because that's bringing in all kinds of very interesting views, I'm sure, you know. I'd like to know more about that sometime. I'll, I'm going to I'm going to have to spend more time listening to some of your uh, some of your podcasts. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to have an international panel coming up um, in the next few months. So I think a lot of those views will kind of be um, expressed there. I think I'm going to have a couple of people from Africa, from Asia, Latin America. Um, to kind of get those um, views, but I think I think we've gotten a few of those views already because just from my guests, um, I've had some interesting guests on already. But um, I just hope for more people to come on, and I, I think we're all going to learn more together. So I'm looking forward to that journey. Would you say that some of your international guests are more informed than the, the than our than the people here in America? I wouldn't say it. <laughs> I know you wouldn't it. say it out loud. <laughs> I know it. I know. I no, know but I mean, you know, more there's a guy yeah. that I watched that uh, he went to China. He'd been there for ten years, and he said, "Boy, it's it, you know, living here, it's an eye opener." I used to think America's the best, America, you know, and I think he went through like ten different things that he believed when he lived here, you know. Um, and he went through healthcare, thinking, oh, we have the best healthcare system in the world, to finding out as a foreigner, he had to leave to find out what it really was, you know, yeah. and, uh, and so, and at the end, he said, boy, I didn't realize how uninformed I was in that bubble. And let's face it, we're all in a bubble, right? We're in the American bubble. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the um, Western media in general is, um, and that's the scary part. Um, we're having to navigate that. We do have access to a lot of things, but um, our minds are still captured in lots of ways. And so that's that's a challenge that we still have to combat each day. But um, hopefully we can enlighten a couple of minds 
you know, well, if you'll let me say that one last thing, like you did, um, I would, uh, my plea to your audience is take care of one another, love one another. Um, and it'll improve your life, not just the person that you're directing it towards. So it's good for all of us. So always work on that. That's, that would be the last thing I would say. And how can people get in touch with you directly, John, if they have any questions for you? Well, through my website is the best way. And, and you know, um, I'm often able to, when people go to my website and fill out that form, if I have time, wherever I have a spare moment, I jump in and I give them a call. So I always like to have a conversation to know who's coming to my site. And I can talk before anybody else in my campaign talks to them. If I'm lucky, I get there. So. John, I'm going to link all this stuff in the episode descriptions on all the websites so that they have access to your website and um, and the ballot initiative. And just so they know about your views, um, I have your platform here, just education, criminal justice, in the wars, environment, democratizing the enterprise, and a lot of your other um, views. Just go out, check out his website. Um, and he's already been on before, but my audience loves you. And, and like you said before, if you want to help his campaign in any kind of way, um, go on his website and, um, all the information is there for you. And, um, we'll keep in touch for sure. Um, beautiful people have a good evening. John, yourself have a great evening and we will talk soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye-bye.